Welcome to Tri-State at the Plate. I'm your host, Andy Burdick, joined today by the Ginger Prince of Baseball himself, Bob Finkbeiner. Bob, how are you today? I am fantastic. It's Glad uh, to be here. You know, for baseball season being over, and maybe it's just this like uh, new new age of media that we're in, but it doesn't really feel like baseball's over to me. Does it feel like it's over to you? Baseball's never over. Yeah, I mean, I feel like you're just inundated with with so much of baseball from all different angles that, yeah, it just it doesn't really feel like it's over for me. It just feels like we're just in a new stage of the season. That's great. You know, it's we, we are. Yeah, it's it's you know, winter meetings are are in full swing. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I, maybe maybe the average fan feels like it's over because out of sight, out of mind, but. I, I enjoyed kind of digging into everything that's going on in the offseason. It's a lot of fun. And a lot of stuff has been going on, which is uh, what we're going to be talking about before we talk about what's happening in Pittsburgh and Cleveland, which is my beautiful segue into talking about our topic of the day, Bob. You ready for this? I am ready. My my favorite commissioner of all time, Alan Huber <laughs> Selig. Good old bud was inducted into the Hall of Fame along with longtime front office executive John Sherholtz. Uh, I don't know if this makes your heart flutter as much as it does mine, but <laughs> what are your... Uh, I mean, John Sherholtz, I guess, if you're going to put executives in to the Hall of Fame, I'm, I guess Sherholtz would belong in there. And, uh, but what... I mean, isn't... And I'd have to go look to see, but isn't every commissioner ever in the history of baseball in the Hall of Fame? It definitely seems that way. It's, it's not like... I mean, yeah, like... <clears throat> Faye Vincent's in there, like just everybody's in there. They just, I'd, and I have to go look to confirm, but I'm pretty sure if you're just commissioner of baseball, they just throw you in there. Um, what What are your thoughts on Bud Selig and his his tenure in baseball? Well, to go back to uh, John Shortholz real fast, I think he's deserving having presided over the Royal success in 1980s, and then obviously the the success that lasted a decade and a half, basically for Atlanta Braves. But <clears throat> for Mr. Selig. I am not a fan of him. I don't understand how you overlook an all-star game that ends in a tie. You preside over the steroid era of baseball. I can can I we know. go back to the all-star game being a tie because his solution to the all-star game ending in a tie was more ridiculous than ending the game in a tie itself because his solution to right. ending the all-star game in a tie is that oh, well, now we're going to make account for home field advantage in the World Series because that's something that a rational person would do. For an exhibition game. What, are you kidding me? That, that to me, was the most ridiculous thing I think he did in his tenure. This game counts, or this time it counts, or whatever his saying was that went along with that. Oh, we cannot forget also the, uh, the strike-shortened season that cost us the World Series, too. Probably cost the Expos a World Series. <laughs> That's right. Yes, Jonah Carey's probably really upset about that one. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, to me, and I mean, pretty much the only commissioner that I have in memory is Bud Selig because when you're a kid watching baseball, you don't pay attention to who's who's in charge of the league. Um, so you know, by the time I was paying attention to how baseball operates as a business. Um, you know, we were already long into Bud Selig's tenure. So um, I just don't look at it favorably at all. Um, 
No, he did bring us interleague baseball, though. Great idea. Big, that was nice. Big fan of the interleague play. Not a big fan of most of his other decisions. <laughs> I got to be honest with you. And I think right. the thing that bothers me the most, because, I mean, the, the Hall of Fame, it doesn't mean a whole lot to me, I guess, as far as, like, who's in and who's out. I mean, I would be fine with putting literally every single player that's ever played baseball in there because they're all supremely talented. Um... But I mean, I guess the fact that you're, you know, you have this system where you pick and choose who goes in and who's worthy of this, this honor to be in the Hall of Fame. I don't think Bud Selig, if you're, you're weighing what his contributions were to Major League Baseball uh, during his time in office, deserves a spot in the Hall of Fame with other commissioners. I don't know. Just my two cents, I guess. Not that anybody really cares. Not that Bud Selig probably really cares either, but... Yeah, just uh, I don't look at the the job that he did and think, job well done. I think more, some of the things that you do are really annoying to me, and they just are really weird decisions to make. I agree with you. Yeah, but, you know, whatever. Um, I guess really quickly, too, before we start talking about um, the Pirates and the Indians, we should mention that Major League Baseball uh, and the Players Union wrapped up their new CBA. Um, as a, a pro-union person myself and someone who's been involved in some collective bargaining, I have to say, when I uh, read over the CBA, my initial thought was that the players definitely lost out on this. I guess if you're having to declare a winner or loser, um, that's kind of my take. Um, it's a five-year deal, so we're going through 2022 um, with this one, um, you know, just like a couple, I guess, larger points, they lengthen the regular season. Um, so the players have four extra off days built into the year because major league baseball is not long enough already. <laughs> uh, they got rid of world series home field advantage. Speaking of Bud Selig, uh, that does not go to the winner of the all-star game. Um, so it now goes to the team with the best record. Um, a couple other ones, they changed the 15 day DL to a 10 day disabled list. Um, which I, that's I nice. I, I like that. I thought that was a, yeah. a positive move. Um, uh, what else? The revenue sharing, um, is, is changing its structure and actually the Oakland A's are being phased out, um, over a four year period, um, because they're considered to be in a larger market, the, the Bay area. So I think Oakland is probably going to be relocating uh, pretty <laughs> soon. Um, they changed the, around the competitive balance um, taxes. So um, it's $195 million in 2017, $197 million in 2018, $206 million, up to $208 million, uh, $210 million in 2021. Um, so if you exceed the you know, the, each of the tax thresholds, then you, you, you know, pay a certain tax. Um, and Which this, can be pretty steep though <clears throat> under this deal. Yeah. So th the way it works is, um, if you exceed the, the uh, tax threshold, you're taxed 20% the first time, 30% the second time and 50% the third time or more. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, so, I mean, if you go over $210 million and, 2021 that's a hundred million dollar tax that you're paying 
So while baseball likes to think of its, or well, I guess while people like to call baseball a you know capitalistic sport, um, I think really what happened in the CBA is that uh, the players' union, either unwittingly or maybe I don't know, maybe they were knowing what they were doing, but they created a salary cap. No team is ever going to go over that <laughs> that threshold and have to pay a you know 50% tax the third time they do it. There's just no way. Um, so, I mean, I'm really curious to see Bryce Harper's talking about wanting a 10-year, $400 million contract. It's insane. You better be really careful because you're going to have Bryce Harper and a team full of, like, AAA guys making $500,000 because you're going to have to stay under that tax threshold or else you're going to be heavily penalized. Um, that that was kind of the big stuff. There was some smaller stuff I was kind of surprised about. Um, How about we, the qualifying offer? That's changed. Yeah, the qualifying offers changed. Um, <clears throat> so players now have 10 days to accept the qualifying offer instead of seven. Um, and if you've already received a qualifying offer, you can't get another one. Um, so, But even the draft pick compensation has changed as well, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yes. Where's the draft pick? Where is it talking about? Um, so no longer will it be a first-round pick, but... A pick later on. Yep, smaller market teams. Um, you'll f- you'll give up your third highest pick um, to sign a player who declined a qualifying offer. While larger market teams are going to forfeit a second and fifth highest pick. Um, if you're like a considered a mid market team, um, you forfeit your second highest pick, and then have your international bonus pool reduced by half a million dollars. Mm-hmm. Um. Yes, yeah, so that was kind of interesting. Um, like I said, the some of the smaller stuff, um, there's a smokeless tobacco ban. Um, you know, if you were playing in 2016 or earlier, you're grandfathered in. Um, so, you know, they're phasing it out. Uh, and then there was, you know, like I said, the, the smaller stuff, some stuff that I was kind of surprised about, we talked about before we started recording. Um <laughs> The owners went after the players per diem, <laughs> so players were getting a hundred dollars a day for meals, and now they cut that back to thirty. And it kind of ruined Brett Anderson's day. He said that was his worst Christmas present ever. <laughs> so <laughs> that was moderately amusing. Um, but the one that really kind of surprised me was that, and uh, you know, we kind of discussed this before we recorded too. And I need, I want to look into this a little bit more, but um, MLB clubhouse attendance. Uh, are no longer getting paid um, by the players who pay clubhouse dues. Um, So I don't know whether that was on top of their salary that they were making. So whether, you know, I'm assuming the team pays them a a salary or, you know, an hourly wage or whatever. Um, But it, it sounded like players were paying dues that would also go to the clubhouse attendance and you know and then they you you hear stories about how they're tipped really well by players but um it sounds like at least one part of their income has been cut out from the cbas so there was some small stuff that i was really kind of surprised that both sides were getting kind of nitpicky about but um so those are some of the smaller things was there anything else that you noticed that yeah i just saw that piqued my interest was the under the new CBA, a Rule 5 draft pick will cost 100000 now compared to the previous 50000 which to me is surprising because the roster size itself did not change. 
but yeah. making it more cost prohibitive to keep a guy now through a rule five pick. Yeah, there was a lot of chatter about that 26 man, um, which never ended up coming to fruition. Um, it sounded like the players were still really pushing for it. And when it came down to it, it was it sounded more like the owners were going to be kind of not on board with the CBA um, with that in there. And so the players just kind of gave up on it, and they said it's not something we're worth fighting. You know, it's not something that, that we think it's worth fighting over, so... Um, but I, I think that would have been kind of interesting to give Tito an extra bullpen arm. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Talk about pace of play. Yeah. Um, so that was pretty much it for the um, CBA as well. Anything else, last things you want to touch on um, other than the Rule 5? I guess just a reminder that um, just because the CBA has been agreed to doesn't mean some of these other areas can't be revisited down the road also. They have shown past precedent of reviewing different things and then working on them outside of the actual hardcore negotiations that led up to the deal in the first place. Yeah, I mean, I know with, um, you know, just through my negotiating experience, you know, you can always go back and reopen a, you know, a, a contract if you need to, if there's some major thing that you missed. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I'm sure that their labor piece is a good thing in baseball. I don't think they want to work stoppage on either side. Yeah. You know, like, I wouldn't say it's likely, but it's always possible. No player wants to give up a salary, and no owner wants to lose a year's income from their major think baseball about team. Things like the like the uh, the drug um, the drug rules and testing requirements that was also separate from the main negotiations, or how they revisited the catching catcher and the home plate slide and you know not sliding rule. Those issues. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They can they can police themselves, um, you know, during the contract. And yeah, most of the time they seem to do a fine job of coming to a conclusion that's um, satisfactory for both sides. So, yeah, labor talk, man. That was the most exciting 10 minutes of podcasting that we've ever done. <laughs> labor talk. OK, you ready to talk some baseball? Sure. All right. So we're going to lead off with the Pirates today. Um I guess this offseason you have to start any discussion about the Pirates where every single Pirates fan starts their discussion, which is what's happening with Andrew McCutcheon. Um, you know, it's been rumored that Andrew McCutcheon is going to be uh, traded before the season starts. Um, it sounded like at one point that it was pretty dead set on him going to the Nationals. Uh, actually, last Thursday there were a couple reports that were being tweeted out from, from the... Uh, beat writers and stuff that the Nationals wanted a deal done before the end of the day on Thursday. Uh, it was kind of interesting to see some of the names that were being bandied about, and I'm sure you probably saw them everywhere because they were impossible to avoid, but did you see some of the names that were being attached to Kutch? Mm-hmm, I did. They were pretty impressive names, weren't they? <clears throat> on paper, very much so. I think... So, and... and you know, when we read, uh, I forget which beat writer it was, but he was talking about the trade that the Pirates were working on with the Nationals last year for Kutch that fell through um, before the All-Star break. And he said the reason the trade fell through is because the deal had to start with Victor Robles. Um, Victor Robles is a top 25 prospect in all of baseball. Um, you know, he's you know a talented player. Um, it's interesting because he is an outfielder, which 
seems like it would just create another logjam for Pittsburgh. But I guess if you're just looking at acquiring talent, um, he's probably regarded as the best player in the national system, I would think. Um, so every deal that you, you saw with Kutch looked like it was starting with Robles. And then what were some of the other names that you saw attached to that as well? Uh, Lucas Gilito. I could not believe that. That's ballsy, if that's what Neil Huntington's asking for. <laughs> like, I love that you're asking for the top two best prospects in the the national system. Um, we should remind uh, anyone listening that Gilito is already one Tommy John surgery into his career. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Was. And I don't know how much that scares teams off anymore. Um, you know, like Jameson Talion's already a Tommy John surgery into his career too. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely a, uh, a red flag. He doesn't have the clean slate like Garrett Cole does. Um, but then you can also look at guys like Chris Sale, who you would think his arm is about to fall <laughs> off and still so hanging there. <laughs> somehow it magically stays on there year after year. But I did find those names that were, were kind of being attached, uh, kind of interesting. Ronaldo Lopez was another game, another name that I saw on there. He was, um, his name was um, kind of tossed around with the Melanson deal last year before they worked that out as well. So it was kind of interesting to see the Pirates and Nationals kind of working on a, another deal after seeing some of the names that went back and forth with Melanson now kind of being tossed around with McCutcheon as well. But I guess what I wanted to ask you is, and you know, you're, you keep an eye on the Pirates. You're not like a, you're the Indians guy on the podcast for a reason, but what do you think the ramifications of, <laughs> the Pirates not working out a deal that trades Andrew McCutcheon and he has to come back to the team next season. Do you think, like, is their relationship damaged at all or do you think it's more like, you know, that was business and now we're ready to play baseball? So I'll answer that question and I have a question for you as well. <clears throat> I think that obviously baseball is a business and McCutcheon is a vet, veteran player now. I think he will proceed as usual if he's not traded and report to, you know, Florida and be in top tip shape and ready to go ahead and prove that last year was a a fluke of a season and that he's much better than what he performed at. Yeah, so that's kind of like one take. And I I think it's the take that I would assume that, that I would go with too, which is, Kutch is a professional. I think he understands it's a business. Um, I mean, he's already made clear that he would be fine with being a pirate for life. And whether he was saying that to just kind of pay lip service to the fans or whether he actually means it, I'm not sure. Um, You know, Pittsburgh's not going to be able to get him the big contract that he'd be able to get on the open market, that's for sure. Um, But, I, yeah, I mean, I, I tend to kind of agree with you. I think that if Kutch has to come back, I don't think it'll be awkward. I think it'll be kind of like, I'm here, I'm ready to work, I'm going to go out there and do the best I can to show everyone that 2016 was, you know, not my, not what I'm becoming as a baseball player. So, my question for you now, as you lead and manage the Pittsburgh Pirates, do you view your chances of having success on the field and winning and making a postseason bid, are they greater with McCutcheon in 2017 
or are you sacrificing and playing with fire in 2017, hoping that the return from percussion sets you up for a three or four year run in 2018 or 19 and on? I don't. I think you're. <clears throat> I mean, I definitely think you're a better team on the field with Kutch next season. I don't. I know he was the like the worst or the second worst outfielder defensively in all of baseball last year, but I don't know how much I believe that. I don't. I have just a hard time believing that he got that bad that quickly. Um, That's how I feel. I feel the same way in that regard. Like I just, I feel like something was off, and whether it was the way that the Pirates were positioning him, or you know whether something was just not right with him all season health wise. I don't like. I just I have a hard time believing that he was that bad defensively. Um, as far as whether he's more valuable to the Pirates as a trade chip to help build for the next couple years. I mean, I think if you look at that defensively and you believe that he is actually that bad, I mean, yeah, it makes sense to have Marte in center um, playing above average defense in that outfield, you know, moving Polanco to to left and then, you know, finding that placeholder uh, in right field until Austin Meadows is ready to come up. Um, So in that respect, I guess it all depends on how much you believe in a rebound from Kutch. I, like I said, I personally don't think Kutch is that bad defensively. I think you're going to see a, a much better player on the field than what you saw in 2016. When you look at the last two months of his season, he had a, an, a, an OPS over uh, 800. I, he, he was kind of swinging a bat more like you would expect to see Kutch. And unfortunately, at the end of the season, it didn't matter, so it just kind of got buried under the fact that the Cubs were 23 games ahead of the Pirates <laughs> or whatever they were. But, yeah, I don't I don't think you can expect Kutch to, to perform that badly again. I just I have a hard time believing that he's gone from MVP to replacement level that quickly. Now, here's something to consider, which is if they do end up trading McCutcheon, that means that there's going to be nearly $29 million free over the next two seasons. Centerfield is presumably going to go to Marte. I mean, it'd be an open spot. I think they'd slide Marte there. Maybe they let Marte and Polanco kind of play it out in the, you know, spring training and see where it goes. But So, I mean, you're going to have another outfield spot available. Who do you think the Pirates are going to have fill that slot in? Assuming that Austin, you know, like Austin Meadows is not going to start the year in the majors, the Pirates are just not going to do that. So you have to have someone playing there. What do you think the Pirates do with that other outfield spot if Kutch is traded? Great question, and I don't have a solid answer for that one. Because we were talking with uh, Dan in Buffalo, who's now Dan in Pittsburgh, the other day. We have this uh, ongoing text thread. It's our baseball text thread that just goes on perpetually all year and he brought up a really interesting point which is that Rajai Davis is no longer a member of the Cleveland Indians will probably be looking to have a team employ his services next year and I got to thinking he might be a great fit for a team like the Pirates if they traded Kutch I mean he could play all three outfield spots um you're not going to need him to be the cornerstone of your team by, you know, any stretch of the imagination. I mean, even if you sign him to a two-year deal, 
he'd be a great fourth outfielder if Austin Meadows comes up and hits. I mean, he'd be a great platoon bat. He'd be that guy to kind of give you, uh, you know, give give you some time in the outfield when your players need days off. You know, he could come in as a defensive replacement late in games. He could come in and pinch run, be a great pinch hitter. I don't know. What do you think about Rajai Davis as a fit in Pittsburgh? I'm a big fan of Rajai Davis. Not only for the home run he hit against Chapman in the World Series, but um, <clears throat> by all accounts, what I've seen, he's a good clubhouse guy. Uh, good demeanor, positive, very encouraging. I am a little bit negative, I guess, towards his future value offensively. He does not have the strongest arm defensively. And he'll be, what, 36 years old entering next season? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, not impossible, obviously, to have a guy that age play well, but I yeah, would not venture a two-year contract. And speaking of him, I know that the Indians, according to you know different rumors, are said to be interested in bringing him back again another one-year contract, which whether he turns or not, who knows for sure yet. Yeah, I mean, you look at, you know, Matt Joyce just went to Oakland and signed like a two-year $11 million deal. Like, would you pay that for Rajai Davis to have him as your, you know, kind of like platoon outfielder, fourth outfielder kind of guy? Yeah, I mean, I think he gives you, he gives you like I said, that flexibility of a guy that could go play any of the three spots so he can give your players nights off um, wherever you need him. He's, a, you know, like a, the last couple years at least, been a replacement-level defender. Um, 2016 with the Indians, you know, he was two wins above replacement overall as a player. I I think you could do much worse than Rajai Davis, and I think... Oh, definitely. I mean, if you go, yeah, why not? You know, if you know that he's got a one-year, you know, four or five million dollar offer out there, why not go two years, ten million, and see if he wants that kind of stability, and then you have your, you know, bench spot locked up and a good fourth outfielder for your team. I think he's a great fit for either Pittsburgh or Cleveland. Yeah, I think he's going to be low cost. He's going to, you know, he's going to do what Rajai Davis does. He's going to steal some bases. You know, he doesn't have a great walk rate, but um, he doesn't have a terrible strikeout rate either. He's he's just a good little ball player. <laughs> That's right. And he bats right-handed, which I believe, doesn't Meadows bat left-handed? Um, Yeah, Meadows is lefty. So that could be a natural early, you know, platoon opportunity perhaps in Pittsburgh. Right. Yeah. They use they use Davis a lot of times with Naquin as a platoon. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you always want to make sure that you're, especially like your guys like Austin Meadows. You know, they're you're going to want them to face lefties because they're going to have to hit them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I definitely agree that early on you could. Uh, Kind of ease him into things. Yeah, you know, like take the tough lefties at least off his plate, or you know, late in games, play the matchups a little bit, so he's not having to face like Araldus Chapman in the ninth inning. Um, yeah, I don't know. I like the more I got to thinking about Rajai Davis, I was like, yeah, Dan in Pittsburgh, I think you're onto something there. <laughs> I would, I would not be opposed to that. Get a good like two fifty, three ten, no, three seventy triple slash out of him. I will throw caution to the wind here. <laughs> I hate doing so, but uh, those typical, you know, decently defensive players with good speed guys don't necessarily age so well. Now he's 36. 
And you can quickly see how fast they drop off. You compare a guy like Michael Bourne. <laughs> That's a. I guess that is a very valid point. Although I think he's been. You know, he kind of rebounded last year a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and he's been used lightly. You know, it's not like he's not going out there logging 600 plate appearances every year. Just allow for a four-year contract worth $56 million, whatever it was. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, he's he's 36. You know, you're you're offering him a, a one- or two-year deal at, you know, very little risk because you know what you're going to get from him, which is some speed on the base paths. Um, you know, like a league average hitter, maybe a little bit above because of the base running and, you know, like decent defense. I like it. I think it'd be great if you trade Kutch. I don't think you could do much better than that if you're Pittsburgh. Um, so just something to think of. Now, my next question for you, and I, I, I'll be kind of interested to hear what you have to say about this as someone who's an Indians fan primarily, but. If Andrew McCutcheon is traded, who do you think becomes the face of the Pittsburgh Pirates franchise? Ooh, that's a great question. I think, in my opinion, it turns to Marte Parte. And why would you say Marte over possibly anybody else on the roster? Uh, To me, he's been uh, durable, exciting, and in a way it sort of fits the same mold. The highly athletic outfitter with good pop, good wheels, a better arm defensively. I think there's a, a natural charisma about him. Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting name. So I I kind of like debate this back and forth in my head because it's a very um. And who would you say? It's a very subjective question, right? By its oh, nature, absolutely. you know, it's all how you perceive things. But so I guess I try and think who would the city of Pittsburgh try and embrace as much as they've embraced Kutch. I'm going to throw this name out there. I think it would really quickly, at least for the the short-term future, kind of turn to Francisco Cervelli because he's that blue-collar kind of player that everybody in Pittsburgh loves. I think the only thing that could hold Cervelli back completely would be his uh, health and whether he can stay healthy or not. But... I can tell you that Russell Martin was one of the most loved players in Pittsburgh during that resurgence in the two years that he was there. People just loved Russell Martin. They loved his work ethic. They loved how excitable he was and, you know, the times that he would show emotion behind the plate. And Cervelli is that exact same way. Okay. But the question you asked, though, was not who's loved the most in Pittsburgh, but Pittsburgh fans, but who's the face of the franchise. Right. So then I go, well... I think Garrett Cole has a chance to be that guy. But then I think about how Garrett Cole had this little spat with his contract. <laughs> and I don't think Garrett Cole wants to be in Pittsburgh. I think he can't wait to get to free agency. And I'm sure Scott Boris feels the same way. And he's never really reached that. And we have this debate ad nauseum about Garrett Cole. I'm, I'm f- firmly believe that Garrett Cole is not an ace I think he's a 1A. Um, you know, you could do worse than having Garrett Cole at the top of your rotation, but he's not. He's just not Chris Sale or Corey Kluber, or that he's not that stopper that you have at the top of your rotation. Um, he's good, but he's not a. He's not an ace, I don't think. So, so I think 
Garrett Cole would be a logical choice if Kutch was gone. But I just don't think he has that that cachet that a guy like Cervelli has. I think if you could take Garrett Cole's pedigree and combine it with Francisco Cervelli, you could get Andrew McCutcheon and what he offers, which is like Andrew McCutcheon was like a highly touted prospect and then came up and just took the National League by storm, basically from, from the time that he entered the league. So I don't think it can be either of those two. So I think it really does kind of come down to, I think it's either Polanco or Marte. And like that's kind of the debate that I have in my head now. I think it'd be one of those two guys. I think people enjoy Marte because... You know, you see him making those diving catches and those great throws um, from left field because he's basically just a center fielder playing left field. Um, but I think Polanco, and I've been on the record, I think here actually saying that I think Polanco has the the highest ceiling, I think, out of Marte, Kutch, and Polanco. I think he's he could end up being the best player when it comes down to it at the end. So I think, I guess, if I had to make my bet, I'd say... Uh, Polanco would, would be my pick for the face of the franchise once Kutch left. Alrighty. This is what I just think about all day long, though. I just debate in my head about who would the face <laughs> of the franchise be. I always like kind of going with the uh, <clears throat> lesser known or maybe like the less obvious choice. It's kind of like uh, yeah, you watch uh, Westworld on HBO, the new HBO series. I don't, I don't have HBO. Oh, my God. Let me tell you, you... You should go on Amazon and buy the season. It's probably like 20 bucks or whatever. It's well worth it. Westworld was absolutely fantastic. It just finished yesterday. And so Westworld, uh, you know, you're trying to figure out what's going on in this whole series. And, you know, you've you've got all these characters and their storylines are crossing. And you're trying to, to solve this mystery of what's happening. And, you know, like there's obvious theories about what's happening. And those are okay. I always try and figure out, well, if that's the obvious theory, then then what's the less obvious one? <laughs> and I kind of, like, I go a little conspiracy hunting with, with what I think might be happening on the TV show, try and dig a little bit deeper. That's how I am with who I think the face of the franchise might be also. <laughs> Don't give me the obvious choice. Let's go with Francisco Cervelli. Um, so that's our Andrew McCutcheon talk. I don't know. We're in the middle of the winter meetings now, so... Um, if something's going to happen, I would think that at this point in the off season would be we're getting likely that something's going to happen. You would think. So that uh, point being made, do you feel that McCutcheon will be traded in the off season this year or during the season next year? I mean, I think if you're in Neil Huntington's shoes, this off season makes the most sense to trade him. Um, I know that statistically speaking, his value might be down, but I guess if I were trying to negotiate a deal with another team with Kutch, I would say, I mean, my selling point would be, you know, that Kutch is an MVP. He had a dip in production, but I wouldn't count on, you know, that being the, the standard Kutch going forward. And you're going to get two years of control of him for $14 million. And I think... And so this is another thing that I kind of think of. I think if you drew these axes and you said, uh, you know, like there's a relative value of Kutch to how much time is left on his contract, 
I think the second that you get to the beginning of the season and you start losing days of control of Andrew McCutcheon, that his value decreases. Um, so I think at this point, while you have two full years of control of Kutch left, even coming off that poor season, I think if you try and hold on to him and have him rebuild his value through 2017, that you're actually decreasing your return uh, because teams will have less control of him. Mm-hmm. Um, the only way I could see that maybe playing in Pittsburgh's favor would be if Kutch had a great 2017 uh, but the Pirates did not as a team, and they got to the trade deadline, and you know the Yankees needed a bat in the middle of their lineup. Uh, that's the only way I could maybe see them extracting more value from him. But yeah, I mean, if I'm Neil Huntington, you you've got to go hard at that. Hey, you've got two years of control, and that's what's driving his value. And so I would ask for Victor Robles and Lucas Giolito. <laughs> Let's start there. Some other news and notes. Uh, this one's a little less enjoyable to talk about, but uh, Jung Ho Gong was arrested for a DUI in South Korea. I'd, have you seen anything about this story unfolding? I heard it's his third one. Which is pretty crazy because Pittsburgh yeah. was not aware that it was his third DUI in South Korea. Um, he had one, I think it was in 2009, 2011 were the first two DUIs that he had. This DUI was pretty crazy in the in that the dash cam footage has allegedly been released. You know, there's no confirmation that it's actually Gong's vehicle, but you see the car basically kind of drift off uh, into this median in the middle. And I mean, it's getting ready to go into oncoming traffic and uh, slams into a, a sign that stops it. Um, it's a pretty frightening video. Um, I don't The things that swirl around Gong make me hope that he can get some kind of help uh, just to get his life back on track because right now I don't think baseball should be the the primary concern with him. Um, that kind of behavior is is always scary, I think. And there is a hopeful parallel to this story of Kong that uh, Shin Su Chu, when he was with Cleveland, had a uh, a dash cam recording of him being caught with DUI. That was not very flattering towards him or the Indians as a whole. And uh, he was able to go ahead and move past it and move on. And Yeah, I mean, Miguel Cabrera okay. famously uh, dealt yeah. with alcohol Cabrera. abuse problems and yep. uh, was able to turn his career around. So, yeah, you just kind of hope for his sake that you can get that taken care of. I mean, you're you're a multimillionaire. There's no need for you to be driving in a vehicle after you've been drinking. Like it's 2016, man. Just Uber, Uber at home. Yep. You, don't, you don't need to be in that situation. It's like I, t- you know, I'm a teacher, so I talk to, I talk to these little kids every day, and I just just stop and think before you say something, before you do something. Stop and think: Is this a good idea? <laughs> like you're a millionaire. Just buy your own private road on your property that you can drive around in any condition that you want, but you don't need to be on a road. Like, it's, it's, it's absurd. So I hope he does get the help that he needs and he can get that straightened away. Um, it does kind of raise some interesting questions, though. I mean, as far as, like, if you're counting on Gong being a, a lock in the Pirates lineup, um, you know, if he's not in a condition to play or, you know, he needs time off to, to kind of get the help that he needs, um, 
I mean, are you assuming that the Pirates plug David Friesen at third? Well, there's a question for you. <clears throat> I had read before, I forget the source. Does the revelations about Gong, does that change from what I heard rumors were that they were open to trading Josh Harrison away? Yeah, because that's another interesting point. I mean, I mean, ideally Harrison fills the void, temporarily at least. Right. Um, yeah, I don't... I mean, so, I mean, if you take Gong out of the lineup, hypothetically, you have, what, Freese at third, Mercer at short, Harrison at second, with Bell at first? I would assume so. I mean, I would think that's how you would arrange the infield. Um, you know, with a healthy Gong, you know, they're, they're, they already stated last year that they kind of like keeping Harrison consistent um, defensively, so... You know, Freeze goes from that, like, third, first platoon. Um, yeah, I don't... It, it, that'll be something that'll be worth keeping an eye on, especially this offseason when you're looking at who Pittsburgh is is signing. You know, if they're relying on Gong, maybe they feel like their infield's okay with Freeze kind of sliding over to first base when they need, third base when they need. Uh, maybe if they're not so set on... Gong being able to to be a, a contributor and maybe they look for you know some help at one of the corners um, because they're counting on Freeze more of a being more of a contributor uh, permanently at third base so that'll that'll be something I'll definitely be keeping an eye on because for the most part their infield's set it's just a matter of who's in what roles and how much time are they getting mm-hmm. um, an interesting note of some former Pirates players, uh, fan favorite and a personal favorite of mine. I, I just I like the guy. I think he's a pretty neat person as far as baseball players go. But uh, former Pirates closer Mark Melanson, now a relief pitcher for the San Francisco Giants, and a very wealthy one. That is. Oh, what was it? A, was it a sixty million dollar contract? Was it sixty two million? I think for four years. Whew. There is no better time to be good at throwing baseballs in the history of the world than right now. Like, if you were going <laughs> to be good at this particular skill, uh, now is the time to be good at it because you're you're cashing in 70 innings a year. That's ridiculous. <clears throat> but, I mean, yeah, good for you, buddy. I think and San Francisco seems like an environment. You know, there was a lot of talk of the Giants being interested in Melanson before he was dealt to the Nationals. It seems like an environment that would fit his heavy ground ball rate. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a great fit for the Giants. I couldn't be happier for Mark Melanson. Seems like a place where he'll be able to thrive and continue to be awesome at the end of games. And great for my fantasy teams, too, because he's going to still be a closer. <laughs> so Good on you, Mark Melanson. Uh, speaking of former Pirates, the Jeff Locke era in Pittsburgh is officially over as he was designated for assignment and elected to become a free agent. So no more of that. You sure you forgot all-star Jeff Locke. Good Lord, man. That's how ridiculous Bud Selig could turn the all-star game into. <laughs> Jeff Locke was an all-star. God. I feel like <laughs> Jeff Locke would have been great if he'd have been a guy that was just like coming up from AAA and making spot starts. But the fact that we like threw him into our rotation consistently year after year, and you just have these amazing ups and these terrible downs. I mean, you can relate because you guys have Josh Tomlin. 
Mm-hmm. And I've often oh, yeah. I've often said Josh Tomlin is the Cleveland Indians Jeff Locke, where like you'll have these amazing stretches. It'll be like four or five great starts, and you'll almost forget how much you can't stand watching this guy pitch. And then he'll go out and just get absolutely torched. You know, he'll make it like two and two thirds innings and give up like seven runs. And it reminds you of why he's so tough to watch at times. Um, he was also pretty famous for like keeping you in the game until like the fourth or fifth inning. And then right when you think like, all right, this is the point in the game where we got to push through and just get to that bullpen. That's when he blows up and he gives up like three runs. And then suddenly you're out of the game before you knew it. Um, yeah, his, his starts were tough to watch at times. They were (laughs) bad for my blood pressure. So (laughs) I hope he keeps his career going and he's able to get signed somewhere and kind of keep going on. Uh, with his career, but I'm glad it's not with Pittsburgh anymore. Um, the last couple things I wanted to, to mention before we talk about Cleveland, um, you know, we have the winter meeting, winter meetings going in full swing. Uh, when you're thinking about the Pirates and what they should be targeting, aside from an Andrew McCutcheon trade, um, I think the the primary thing the Pirates need to be looking at is rotation depth, which is the same thing that probably every team except for the Mets and maybe the Cubs are saying that they don't really have to worry a whole lot about, but um, it's an incredibly thin free agent market this winter, which I don't know how much that affects Pittsburgh because it's not like Pittsburgh is ever going after the you know, top tier guys on the free agent market. But when you think about guys that the Pirates could be targeting, and I think you know where I'm going to go with this one, Bob. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you think about guys that the Pirates should be targeting, there's one name on this list of free agents that really stands out to me. Do you have an idea of who that might be? Go ahead and say his name. We talked oh. about this before the podcast. It is... My good friend Tyson Ross. Tyson Ross and I, we have a very, uh, a very long relationship that goes back to his days with the Athletics. Um, <laughs> like Tyson Ross has a, he's an, uh, an above-average ground ball rate, um, a 56% ground ball rate for his career, um, but he has this wipeout slider that is just so much fun to watch. And if you know anything about me, Bob, you know that I love a good wipeout slider. It's the same reason I love Patrick Corbin so much, and I'll never be able to let the fact go that I think Patrick Corbin should be an ace because he has an amazing slider. Um, I think when you look at Tyson Ross as a pitcher, this amazing slider has probably caused him some complications in his career, um, specifically as it pertains to his health last year. Because how many starts did he make last year, Bob? My fantasy team, as I acquired Tyson Ross, he threw one start. He made one start one. through five five and a third innings last year. One. Just he, one. I will say, though, he faced 27 batters in those five and a third innings, so it's almost like he got two starts. It out was a there. forgettable start, yes. <laughs> it, was a bad, it was a bad five and a third innings for Tyson Ross. Um, Tyson Ross, though, he seemed like a, a, a good buy-low candidate, Um. He was a guy that I'd said the Pirates should have been targeting a while ago, um, kind of in the similar vein of why they were targeting Francisco Liriano. Um, you know, Liriano has that amazing wipeout slider. Um, he had similar control issues um, that, that Tyson Ross um, kind of struggles with as well. Uh, and I guess I postulated a last, was it last year or two years ago um, when I was talking about why they should target him. I think if you can lower his walk rate and get him to develop even just like a functional changeup, just give him something that can give 
um, you know, lefties a, a, a different look from the other side of the plate. Man, I, I think you could, you could turn Tyson Ross into to something great. I think you could turn him into maybe Francisco Liriano uh, when he's not on a down year. Um, just kind of my thoughts on Tyson Ross. What do you think about Tyson Ross as a pitcher? Because I know you, you know pitching much more uh, intimately than I do, I guess, as far as you know mechanics and pitch selection go. No, I think Tyson Ross would be an ideal fit in Pittsburgh. I think, as we said before the recording, though, uh, the natural worry is the absence of a third pitch. I mean, what do, what do you rely on a slider for, like 46% of the pitches that he threw? Yeah. So I mean, nearly every other pitch was a slider. And then coming back from that thoracic outlet syndrome, <clears throat> which I believe has a lot to do with, uh, was it moving a nerve or fixing nerves that cause numbness and pain yeah. in the shoulder or elbow? I mean, I think he's an ideal candidate to bounce back and do well. But, again, is that slider going to be as effective as it was the prior two healthy seasons? Or does he really need to adjust and adapt and have a legitimate third pitch to keep hitters off balance? Yeah, it's it's interesting with Ross, you know, because of that thoracic, 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 I don't know. Yeah, thoracic. Thoracic, however it's pronounced. Uh, it's the same thing that Matt Harvey's coming back from now, too. Right, yeah. Um, and again, like, we would need Dr. Garrett to really, which maybe I'll send Dr. Garrett a text and see if we can get him to, to give us a quick write-up in between being a dad and a full-time doctor. But <laughs> I mean, the only one I know who's come back from that um, operation was Sean Markham. Remember him? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, he pitched for the Indians when he came back, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He came back and pitched for the Indians after that that deal. And then he did, he did all right. But he's never a hard thrower anyway. Right. I've never seen it, you know, done to someone who throws the ball hard, whether it be a Ross or a Harvey. So I'm kind of curious to see how well would they bounce back. Yeah, I mean, I know, you know, like the the last things that I read about Tyson Ross, um, there were no complications from the surgery. Uh, from everything I've read about the surgery, it sounds like it's a like a six month recovery. So basically. His timeline should have been spring training in 2017, right? Coming up. Right. So, um, I mean, you assume that everything is going fine with his rehab because I haven't read anything about a, you know, a setback with him, um, at least. So, I, I think that's the kind of guy that that Pittsburgh would typically target. Um, I don't know that whether because this is a. a incredibly thin pitching market does that like increase his value relative to what it what it usually would be i'm not really sure like are more teams looking at tyson ross as like oh this is a guy we should add to our rotation because you know there's like a whole free agent class of like brett anderson and bartolo cologne and jeremy hellickson and guys like that i don't know what do you think that does to the market does he have more value I think he does. And for the reasons that you just mentioned, but also for the fact that there is a legitimate, you know, what have we done lately mentality? Well, prior to this past season, two years ago, he was a very solid pitcher. Right. And averaged basically 200 innings pitched a season, which obviously that alone has great value to rotation. Yeah. And I mean, you, you, I'm 100% sure you probably can't 
count on him to throw 200 innings this upcoming season, but right. Um, yeah, I don't know. I Charlie Morton signed a two-year, $14 million deal. You know, Jeremy Hellickson accepted a qualifying offer for $17 million. Um, Smart man. <laughs> you know, like Bartolo Colon got $12 million at 44 years old or however old he is. Uh, Edinson, Vol- like to put it in perspective, Edinson Volk has signed a two-year, $22 million deal. Like pitching isn't cheap. Even bad pitching isn't cheap. Um, so I... Well, there's another player I was going to ask you about. <clears throat> I just thought about it just now, talking about Ross. Um, I'm not quite sure on the health of this guy right now. He might. I think he's under underwent um, like stem cell or plasma injections to help alleviate his pain in the elbow and UCL. But how about Ruby De La Rosa? Yeah, that was a. He was not tendered by the Diamondbacks, and he's fairly young. I think he's what, 27 years old. A ground ball rate for his career of 48.2%. Throws three solid pitches, good velocity. Kai's kind of like for a guy to me. Yeah, I think definitely, yeah, when you look at that. I mean, when you start us off with the 48% ground ball rate, we can <laughs> we can work with that. Um, yeah, his, his name was another interesting one when you considered that he was non-tendered. It seemed... He seemed like one of those guys that would just spend his career with the Diamondbacks until it was time for him to... Um, Unless Tommy John's inevitable, which may be possible too. Yeah, which is also a possibility. But yeah, I guess I was kind of surprised that he, that he was non-tendered. Um, yeah, I mean, he he, he throws kind of hard. Um, you know, he has he has decent 94. velocity. 94.6 miles per hour. Yeah, is his average fastball velocity. Um, you know, he throws that, that slider. Um and he has like a changeup that he throws, I guess, a little bit more than you would have guys like um, Tyson Ross throwing. Like he throws a changeup eight percent of the time, so he he does have something that he can mix in there to give you a different look. Yeah, I mean, he would be a guy that I would be really comfortable with Pittsburgh signing um, for the right price. But it does kind of make you wonder, like, well, you know, they they didn't tender him a contract, so is there a reason <laughs> for that? Right. Yeah. But I think Pittsburgh will definitely be looking at um, just, you know, trying to increase that depth because you're looking at going into the season with presumably Garrett Cole, Tyler Glasnow, Jamison Talion, although I've been reading that they're saying Glasnow is not a lock to make the rotation. Well, okay, then you better go sign some guys to fill in that rotation. <laughs> yeah. But so you're, you're starting with those three guys up at the top, and then you have Chad Cool, um, who I'm assuming will be I would assume that he's probably going to be your fourth guy in there. And then, you know, your fifth guy right now is probably going to be that revolving door where Jeff Locke would have been had they not DFA'd him. Um, so, yeah, you're looking for some guys that, like, hey, i got to plug you in there. And then you always have to factor in your injuries because it's, there's a good chance, you know, a couple of those happen. guys are going to go down. Yeah, You just pray that it's not Garrett Cole again or Jamison Talion or Tyler Glasnow. But, yeah, you work from there. Um the other interesting point, which we already kind of touched on a little bit, though, was um, <clears throat> what kind of happens with the, the Pirates infield with presumably Josh Bell going into the season as the starting first baseman. Um, you know, do you have depth at first base when you're talking about, like, well, what if Bell struggles? You know, we saw very famously Pedro Alvarez struggle on a pretty big stage and a pretty bright spotlight. and He's you know, available again this year. <laughs> it eventually just <laughs> kind of crushed him. 
Um, you know, if Josh Bell struggles like that, is David Freeze the guy that they're counting on to, like, hey, we got to plug you in here because we're trying to win again next season and compete with the Cubs? Or do you think, should Pittsburgh go out and kind of look at the first base free agent market and see what they can find and, you know, increase their depth at first base by doing that? What would you do if you were in that situation? I think the loss of uh, Sean Rodriguez makes it almost a priority that they have to bring in at least somebody as further depth at first base. Yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. Like, I mean, I would almost think like a guy like maybe like Steve Pierce. He um, just signed with uh, Blue Jays today. Oh, did Pierce sign with the Jays today? Yeah, I think two. I think it's two years and fourteen million, I believe. Oh wow, he out <clears throat> earned Sean Rodriguez. Sean Rodriguez was two years ten or two years and eleven. Sorry, I misspoke. Two years. Twelve and a half million dollars. Okay. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's still out earned Rodriguez, but oh, oh yeah. wow. Yeah. I guess in my head though, that's the kind of guy maybe they should go after. But um, so then I got to thinking a little bit, like, well, who are some other names that might make sense that would be in like Pittsburgh's price range? Because they're probably not going to be paying like two years, ten million dollars, or else they would have brought Sean Rodriguez back, you know. Um, so you know who popped into my head was former Milwaukee Brewer, Chris Carter. I think he could make a really interesting fit as a bench bat for Pittsburgh. He is the ultimate three-outcome player. Oh, my God. There were times last year where he just (laughs) was ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, he would go through these stretches last year where he just crushed the ball. You know who he kind of reminded me of just watching him play was Mark Reynolds? Yes. He he really gave off that vibe. Um, you know, he's never going to hit for average, but what do you have last year? Did he have 40 home runs last year? Four, I think 41. Yeah. Like, he had 40 home runs last year. Like, that's... Led the National League, I believe, and non-tendered. Um, non-tendered, sorry. So, yeah, I mean, he had a... I mean, he had a decent season last year when you look at it from the perspective of like he had a 321 on base um i mean he's doing what everyone i think expected pedro alvarez to do in pittsburgh you know he struck out 200 times um but he hit 40 home runs um you know he only hit 222 but he had a 321 on base so his on base is again 100 points higher than his average so he's getting on base he slugged 499 like you can deal with the 222 average i guess (laughs) right-handed power too yeah I think he'd be a great signing um, for a team like Pittsburgh. Uh, I don't know whether he would be willing to, you know, resign himself to like a platoon bat or a part-time role or whether he's looking to go back somewhere where he can get full-time at bats. But um, I'd be more than happy with Pittsburgh signing him and bringing him into the fold. Um, Yeah. So that's pretty much my thoughts on Pittsburgh. Anything else you want to add to the discussion? I don't think so. Sounds pretty good. Yeah. I think we're going to wrap it up for the Pirates today. You ready to talk about the Indians? Sure. It's much less discussed with the Indians. Yeah, they've actually had a really quiet offseason so far. Yeah. Um, the the uh, transition from Chris Carter possibly being a pirate is also talk about Chris Carter possibly being an Indian, too. So we'll see where that goes. But, be uh, a, wouldn't that be a great signing for Cleveland? I think it perfectly uh, replaces Mike Napoli. Oh, yeah. 
Absolutely. And I believe he's younger than Napoli, too, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's definitely... I don't think Carter's 30 yet. I think he just epitomizes the classic sign a guy for one year, see what he'll do. If he does well, he'll take that you know performance and get himself a two- or three-year contract. Okay. The Indians, though, um, they have ten tendered contracts to eight other nine arbitration-eligible players. That would include Cody Allen, Trevor Bauer, Lonnie Chisenhall, Brendan Geyer, Zach McAllister, Dan Otero, Denny Salazar, and Brian Shaw. They did not tender a contract to Jeff Manship, so he has become a free agent. Uh, all said and done, they remain on the, uh, I guess, the lookout watch list for bullpen help, um, outfield help, and first base help. First base is going to be an issue. I mean, you can't play Santana there every day. Just trying to find someone to platoon with him. They've been rumored to be involved with uh, Adam Lind, Chris Carter, Mitch Moreland, and Napoli still. Possibly coming back. Apparently, there's reports that said that they were pushing pretty strongly to get the services of Matt Holliday, which I think would have been a great uh, player to add to the roster. But unfortunately, he signed with the Yankees instead. Uh, some positive cross your fingers news is that by the end of the month, Dr. Smooth, Michael Brantley, should begin hitting again. Oh, live hitting. Good. So if, uh, knock on wood again, the hog goes well. Brantley should be uh, 100% healthy for spring training. Yeah, that was painful last year, watching him miss out on all of the games oh. that I really felt he should be playing in. That was terrible. Like, deep down in my heart, oh, Michael Brantley should be batting here. As good as you know, Kyle Schwarber and the loss of him was to the Cubs, Michael Brantley's loss to the Indians is by far a much more greater impact. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that also. A Brantley list lineup compared to a Brantley lineup is just it's 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 massive. Yeah, I think if he's healthy all last year, the the season probably goes in a much different fashion. Um, which you know, all things considered, they made the World Series so, and they were a few outs away right. from winning it. But um, absolutely. Yes, Brantley in the outfield looks, I think their season looks much different. You know, one thing I don't know about, and this is just absolutely pure 100% speculation, is given the shoulder problems that he suffered, and I sort of had to, you know, deal with multiple times, it seems like, I really wonder if moving him to first base is not an actual possibility. He's left. He's left-handed. He handles the bat very well. Would this be a, a move that he could transition to and do well to prolong his career and maintain his health? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's... I have no idea if that's even an option or, or thought out, but to me, I, I wonder because when you have multiple operations on your shoulder, that's never a good sign. You know what it, it made me think of this year when he really didn't make it back is uh, it, it really made me think of Grady Sizemore 
Right. I mean, that's that's really the the comp that just po- keeps popping into my head. The thing that just haunts me about Michael Brantley is, you know, you watch Grady Sizemore in this this amazing rise to like an MVP caliber player, and then just before you know it, just boom, injury, 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 just out of Cleveland and then out of baseball. I mean, for a guy who didn't miss a game for like what four and a half, five years. Right. Sizemore. Um. Yeah. I don't know. I, I like I, I, I felt really good about Michael Brantley last year. Everyone was saying like, oh yeah, he's doing great. You know, he's on this amazing timetable. He's gonna be back before we know it. And then before we knew it, turned into like, yeah, we're gonna give it a couple weeks. And then he had, took a couple hacks and wasn't feeling great. And then it was just the rest of the season was gone. And you know, since he took those at bats and his shoulder actually, I don't think was ever really feeling as good as it should have. Um. You know, the only thing I can think of is Grady Sizemore. It just freaks me out. It makes you wonder, like, is his career destined to be a, a DH full-time? Or does he have to move away from the outfield? Right. Yeah. And the nice thing about this is, if things, you know, play out the way they <clears throat> hopefully could, which is never going to happen, but if Bradley Zimmer is close to making his appearance in Cleveland, that would allow them to shift a couple guys around the outfield and possibly move Brantley if he was willing and able to do so. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's a, interesting. That is a very thought-provoking question. Um. So, anything else going on in Cleveland? Uh, no. That's that's pretty <laughs> that's much it. That I'm aware Matt, of. Matt Holiday was almost an Indian, and Michael Brantley is close to playing baseball. I like yeah. that. I would love. Quiet. I would love to have had Matt Holiday come to Cleveland. Oh, I th- I feel like Cleveland would have loved to have Matt Holiday. He seems like a guy that Cleveland would embrace. Yeah. yeah. To have him DH and play first base with Santana would be a great combination. Gonna hit for a decent average, good plate discipline. Yeah, good pop. Oh yep. well, what could have been, huh? What could have been. <laughs> <laughs> They supposedly have uh, checked in on Edwin Encarnacion, and by that, they probably means checked in to see his asking price and then realize once again that they can't afford him. But for some miracle, if Cleveland were able to sign Edwin, that would be a most welcome addition too. I think it meant checked in like just to see how he's doing, (laughs) like a social call. Yeah. Hey, how how was it playing October baseball? You know, in Cleveland, October. You know, October. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay with you. Okay, come on back. <laughs> We're just checking in, just seeing how you're doing. Yeah, just just checking in. Um, before we wrap things up today, we want to have a quick Seawolf shout out. Um, first of all, make sure you get out to the ballpark. Most importantly, next season. But right now, to help you get out to the ballpark, the Seawolves have uh, some value packs uh some great deals going on they have um 49 value packs right now where uh you can get i believe it's eight tickets plus opening day um they did have some other kind of things going on where you got like a free drawstring bag um and some stuff like that so you can go on there and check out those specials you'll see them advertised um right on the seawolves homepage. um as far as merch goes though right now they have a 12 days of discounts going on which i have to ask greg coleman about who in the marketing department came up with that because Kudos to you. 12 days of discounts. You you got me interested right away. That's a really clever name for a sale. And uh, so they have uh, 20% off tons of merch right now. They did, you know, like 20% off glassware the other day. Today it's 20% off all hoodies. 
And if I'm reading it correctly, I think it's like each day they add something else. So I think, you know, even if you missed it yesterday's deal, um, it's still 20% off everything today. So um, if you're looking for a new hoodie, uh, some new glassware, they had some baseballs that were on sale, 20% off. Yeah, hop on there, check it out, buy some merch, support the Seawolves. And I think that's going to be it for us today. Feel pretty I'm good about today's recording. My friend. What's that? We forgot about Dean Green. Oh, Dean Green. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can't wrap up before we talk about Dean Green. Yes. What's, what's mean? <clears throat> I mentioned before that Dean Green has signed a contract. Or sorry, no, he's been acquired. The Tokyo, uh, sorry if I pronounced this wrong, the Colt Swallows. Oh, the Swallows, acquired, yeah. Yeah, acquired Dean Green. <laughs> they're like, I think they're like the Yankees of uh, NPB <laughs> baseball, I believe. I think perhaps. On a one-year contract worth um, about $460,000. Yeah, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd go to Japan for $460,000. Yeah, plus incentives. So he might be able to get, you know, get some more money. Yeah. Man, wouldn't it be great if Dean Green went over there and just tore it up? Hey, Eric uh, Thames, or was it Thames? 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 One is... He came back He came back from Japan and signed a three-year contract and got paid pretty well. Um, are, are we thinking of Marcus Thames this offseason or Eric yeah. Thames? Because I always get these two guys confused. Uh, I think it's Eric. Marcus Thames. Uh, now, Marcus Thames is the older one. Right, he's the one that's with the Yankees, like as a hitting coach or something like that. I think. Let's see. I'm, I'm right here. So it's. I have. It is. I think it's Eric Thames. Eric, 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 yeah. Okay, so I think it's Eric Thames and Marcus Thames, maybe. Yeah, one of them is pronounced funny, but yeah, Eric Thames, the guy that's playing currently. He. Yes. Uh, he was like the Korean League MVP or something, wasn't he? Right. Yeah, three-year contract for $16 million. He hit like 40 home runs and stole 50 bases or something ridiculous like that. <laughs> he, had a, he was like a Jose Caseco of Japan. Oh, it was, it was crazy. Well, I think he was in Korea, wasn't he? Um, I'm pretty sure it was Korean maybe, League. Maybe Korea, yeah. Um, yeah, that's ridiculous, though. I'm, I'm definitely curious to see what Eric... Thames does, not Marcus Thames or Tims or however you pronounce his name. Yeah, Eric was a Blue Jay, and then a Mariner, and then overseas, and then a Korean League MVP. Yes. Yeah, he'll be a fun one to watch this season. I'll be curious to see what he does. Yeah, and I have some bad news and on. I hate to break it to you, but my phone got an alert that um, said the Nationals and the White Sox have a legitimate chance. Uh, striking a deal for Chris Sale that would involve the two prized prospects that Yusuf Ali and want the Buckos to get for a percussion. <laughs> that one would sting <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Just just come in right, chop the legs right out from underneath that deal. So it's a possibility that might happen. I mean, I guess if you're talking about who would you rather have, Chris Sale or Andrew McCutcheon, for those two guys. I Could was... you imagine, though, facing a three-game series, Scherzer, Strasburg, and Sale? Oh, good Lord. <laughs> it's like a buzzsaw. Jeez. Wow, breaking news. Yeah. 
All right, well, uh, that's going to wrap us up for today. We'd like to, again, thank our listeners and ask if you're listening to us on iTunes that you leave us a rate and review. Uh, we're recording sporadically, so keep your ears to the ground this winter. Uh, more than likely, whenever there's some news popping up, we'll be recording soon after that. In the meantime, you can check us out on the web at www.tsmbaseball.com. You can email us, tristatebb at tsmbaseball.com. You can follow us on the Twitter at tristatebb. And you can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash tsmbaseball. So for Bob Finkbeiner, this is Andy Burdick, and we look forward to talking to you soon.